All right, here we are, another edition of FinTech Fridays. We're into February of 2022. Who would have thought? <laughs> We're just cranking through the uh, the calendar here. I'm excited to have Rohan Tagra, the co-founder or founder and CEO of Azimuth, join us. Um, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is I get to learn about uh, great uh, companies and great products in our space that I may not otherwise have learned about and also great people. Um, our friend Courtney Thompson, uh, I think, told both of us that we needed to get on this thing and talk. And so here we are, Rohan, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I thank you for Courtney to introduce us and uh, have me on here. She's a, a magical connector of people or humans. humans yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan, of course. I am too. So, so uh, I want to dive right in. Um, I, I, I think you and I had a brief conversation a few weeks back, and and I explained that uh, I love doing these shows, as I said in the in the opening, because I get to learn about uh, platforms, products, companies, and 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 people that I otherwise may not get the opportunity to learn about. And I think others are in the same boat. And so I peeked at your background on LinkedIn a little bit and uh, and kind of saw that prior to uh, founding Azimuth, you um, spent some time at, at JP Morgan Chase as well as LPS. And so uh, my guess, and, and we'll hear from you on this, is that it, from that seat, from those seats, from that lens, you saw a series of challenges or problems and sought to find a way to bring uh, solutions to the industry around that. Maybe just tell us a little bit about kind of what you saw as the, as the problem and then what, what you what you created here with your platform. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Um, so coming out of the 08 financial crisis, it, it, it was with JP and then uh, back in 08, I was with Bank of America and then LPS, which is now Black Knight Financial Services afterwards. And so there's a theme here, which is, uh, did a bunch of different things there, but at the last one of the last things I did at Bank of America was when they acquired Merrill Lynch, uh, brought the risk and compliance functions uh, together for B of A and Merrill Lynch, um, two very different risk appetites. Um, <laughs> and then from there, went to LPS, started up the risk group, and about six months in, they got a consent order. Um, you know, this was around the uh, document execution. And so within that, there are things you have to fix operationally with a consent order. Um, we got those resolution, um, but we looked for technology to help us, uh, was not finding things in the external market, but we got it to resolution. And then similar thing, JP, um, I was asked to come in on the regulatory items like the consent order, settlement with HUD, settlement with private investors. And uh, again, things you had to fix operationally, needed technology, had tried a couple of things in the past, had not worked. We ended up spending a lot of money building something internally because we couldn't find something externally. And so what was really focused on was data, content, and software. Data being, hey, what are, are the, what are the laws that apply to us? What do they mean? Who's accountable for those? And how do we do that in terms of our controls, policies, procedures, and how effective are we testing? And so simple, it sounds like a simple problem, but uh, there wasn't a lot of technology support to help in the amount of information that's out there. Um, so after doing this a couple different times, realized it was a big need for the industry. And in 2017, decided to step out and, and go build it. Yeah, so uh, 
always curious uh, when when somebody goes through that. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a founder, you know, or uh, or, or close to the, to that piece of it here at Finlocker, but saw and recognized a, a set of problems, and I, I saw a platform with with the uh, opportunity to, to resolve those. And so, in a lot of ways, we we kind of share a similar path. Talk to me a little bit about kind of that that mental wrestling match <laughs> that, that you, you went through, because I know you had to yes. have done it, because I know where I was at. <laughs> it was a long one. I mean, yeah, it was one of those things I've always wanted to know. I wanted to do my own thing. Um, and I was at a point in my career, 20-plus years in the industry, uh, it was one of those things where I was getting to a point where it's, it's now or never, because if I stay yeah. where I'm at, life is good, it's comfortable, um, and it'll be comfortable, or – yeah, and one of the things I read a lot about entrepreneurship and you hear you know, Bezos say, you can't have any regrets. And so it kept coming to my mind, if I'm 60, 65, and I say I don't do this or try it, yeah. I'll never know. So that was going through there. And then I had two young ones, a one-year-old and a four-year-old, and I'm telling them they can do whatever they want. I thought I needed to follow yeah. my own advice. So a number of things between, you know, there was a need. There was something that um, I was really passionate about, wanted to go fix, as well as the other things that were just, uh, for me, the right things from a life standpoint. I love it. I mean, again, parallels are there. My, uh, you know, 28 years in the industry, uh, before we hit record, I had said I never would have left, you know, my employer at the time, Flagstar, for another similar like position or lender. I, I love the platform, the company, the people, the customers, but I had to kind of see, I had to go roll the dice, make, you know, place that bet on myself more than anything. Um, and it's been, it's been a, a, a very rewarding ride. And, and I, I'm curious uh, from your seat, I'm sure there's plenty of days where, you know, you're up here and you're riding the highs and then you, you kind of, it's a roller coaster every, every day, every week, every month, every quarter. Yes. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, people listening to this um, who are maybe in a similar position where they're in that, you know, cush, comfy, corporate kind of safe place, but wondering what it would look like, um, you know, uh, social media, LinkedIn, it shows one kind of side of the of the story, right? Um, maybe just share with, share with the uh, audience just, you know, the reality of what happens uh, that, the, the 50 or more percent of the time when it's not, you know, not suitable for, for posting on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there, there's the glamorous part about it. You raise funding, you know, this happened, X happened, um, or you see these big exits, right? This company, Finexact, just, uh, you know, Pfizer bought them for $650 million yesterday. That's the glamorous part. Yeah. But to get to there, the only way to sum it up is it's just, it's a lot of hard work. Um, you know, from the basics, you start from a blank piece of paper. You've got to build an idea. You've got to go execute on that idea. Um, your roller coaster is probably the best analogy. It's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Um, and it, it's lonely, right? Because when you start this, you it's just you. There's not this group or team of folks that you're looking to work with and make a decision. But then as you grow, you bring them on, and then it's still there. But it's it's a, it can be a lonely place to be. Um, but with all that, if you're in for the hard work and creating something, um, it is the absolute most fun I've had in my 
entire 25 plus years of working is the last four years um, and the reward that you see in terms of what you're building. So it's been exciting. Yeah. Um, it's been ups, it's been downs. And, you know, I think we've had some good success, but we've also had, you know, big bumps along the way and you figure out how to overcome those. Love it. You know, I think it's uh, in our, in the, in the mortgage origination space, we've seen this kind of massive growth of, of startup, you know, small mortgage brokers, small companies. And, um, you know, the, hopefully the, the, the takeaway that people have is it's, it's never going to be just as easy as you think it's, it should be, but it's worth it if you can stick it out and, and, and do the hard work. And I, I'm curious, and I, I already, you already said this answer, it's lonely and, and you got to, you're, oftentimes you're, you, you can't turn to a team or a department and say, hey, this is what I need. It's, you're looking in the mirror <laughs> saying, this is what we got to do. <laughs> um, I've, for me personally, again, not a founder, having to kind of roll up my sleeves and just really get after it has taught me a lot about, A, myself yep. as, a, as a person and what, what I'm capable, capable of, but it's also forced me to really understand the product the, the, the problems we're trying to solve and who are those who are those clients that we're trying to engage with um, you know as we kind of keep this conversation going I want to pivot to those kind of uh, kind of talking points and, and I really want to dive in and understand like specifically you know what is that set of problems that you're solving who are those target clients um, but before we get there you know you it's safe to say you're in your seat, you've had to do just about every function and every role in the company, right? Yes. Um, you know, one of my favorite things, uh, to piggyback on what you were saying earlier, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Uh, yeah. So, and yes, from everywhere from, you know, writing requirements to, I didn't know how, I didn't know what SQL was before I started this. Now I can write SQL. And it's just, you know, out of necessity, you learn to figure that out. But to the point of also going from the top level strategy, you know, one minute you're doing investor decks or you're doing uh, a board deck and next minute you're down in the code or uh, or making coffee. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, across right. the board, um, done every aspect of it. And I think that's a mindset you're going to have to have if you're doing this. Um, and, yeah. you know, you can have you get used to having that team, but you got to roll up your sleeves. you got to do a lot of work uh, and you've got to be ready for that. Yeah, I love it. Let's let's talk about the work you do specifically. You know, maybe give us a, a an example of a use case. You know, and and kind of just take us through how how you all kind of help help lenders solve. Uh, and I don't think it's just lenders; it's it's, uh, it's servicers, industry participants. Yeah. Right. So we're focused on uh, mortgage and then banking, and then we can actually even broaden into like healthcare and pharma. But I'm going to stick with the mortgage here for a minute. So what we do is. We bring every law in federal and state, um, as well as some of the investor guidelines. And what we do is we turn them into data. So when you read a law and it goes ABC, Roman I, one, two, three, we turn each of those into an individual database record. Now that's different than what you might see anyone else like all regs or LexisNexis or Westlaw do. You're gonna get a web page or a PDF and it's gonna be unstructured data. So that's our starting point. So we spend a lot of time building that IP because we're the only ones that have that codified set of laws that way. Then we have content done. So we've got over a million laws in the system. We have Bradley, which is our law firm. It goes in and says, here's a 7,000 laws that apply to the mortgage space. 
they then identify if it applies to a bank, a non-bank, an open-ended loan, a closed-ended loan, and they categorize them into things like AML, privacy, bankruptcy, foreclosure, escrow, 100 different buckets. Then to give you context, this is how, like it's, this is why it's a problem that's tough to solve without the right system. Of those 7,000 laws, 32,000 individual requirements were written on. So if you think about that, there's 32,000 things you have to do to be in compliance with a servicing shop, an origination shop, if you're in all 50 states. So, you know, the question always comes, well, how, how do we not know about this? We spend all this money on compliance. That's why. Right. So then the next step we do is we get this information down to companies' department level. We've got a proprietary way to do that and get it there in a couple of days. They map their controls, policies, procedures, systems, do an assessment, and then um, they can, if there's any gaps, create a gap in action plan. But then what we've done is taking this to the next level. We take that law, that requirement, we're going to formula on it. We identify all the elements from the, the source system, and we do full population testing. So we test your entire portfolio for these requirements. So take, for example, we did it for CARES Act. We built 14 tests, hundreds of conditions. We did it for foreclosure moratorium, 15 tests, another few hundred conditions. And then we've written 148 tests on the CFPB exam guide. So this is one of my favorite questions, right? Uh, what's really you know, generally accepted is 95% confidence interval with 5% error rate. So if you have a million loans, guess how many loans you have to have to test? to get that 95.5 confidence in level. So out of a million loans, how many get the test? Um, this is wild, yes, 50,000. 383. 383 loans. loans. Oh, wow, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was a little high. <laughs> so if you think about that, right, that's 999,617 unknowns. And so when you get to regulatory compliance, that's really not an acceptable level with the type of scrutiny that's happening right. with, you know, the administration changing uh, and just the things that are happening out there today. So that's a problem that we're trying to help solve for is full population testing and making sure you know what's in your portfolio. So if, if, if we think about the kind of the, the universe in mortgage, right, we'll stay in that, that vertical. Uh, who are your kind of, who are your targets? Is it the, the biggest of the big lenders, or do you can you fulfill and help all the way down to kind of a small, you know, mom and pop, you know, mortgage bank? We can help all the way. Generally, I think where we find this piece is areas where there's companies that are generally regulated, right? Where there's a level of yeah. interest for regula regulation control, and so you know, generally around that hundred thousand plus loan portfolio in servicing, or if you're doing you know enough volume in in the origination side. Uh, so it's not like you've yep. got to be the Bank of America or JP. There's still a lot of shops that have 75,000 loans in their portfolio or 100,000 loans that are not the big ones. And that was one of the big drivers of creating this, right, is a couple of factors. One, if the big the big ones can afford it, the smaller ones can't. So this now levels that playing field. But the other big mission, when you look at what Asmuth TRC is trying to do, is we're trying to create a fair and equitable experience for every customer, and that customer being the bank and the mortgage company's customers. So right. think about this. So some of the laws are measured around credit bureau reporting. So you have to report them correctly. Well, if you don't report someone correctly, that impacts someone's daily life of being able to get a credit card, 
rent a house, you know, do any of those things. And so when you look at what this is doing, and if let's just say you have a 3% error rate on a portfolio of 500,000, that's 15,000 people. And so yeah. that's the other key piece is getting to a fair and equitable experience for customers through the work that we're doing. I love it. What's, um, and, I, and I would imagine just in the, in the environment we've been in, you know, for the last few years and in what it looks like is going to be a similar kind of regulatory environment going forward. It's not just about the, you know, the compliance. It, there is there there is this other kind of consideration around doing doing the right thing for all customers. Yeah. Right? Uh, and and it's interesting because it, it's I get where technology plays a role, but I, until you just described the fifteen thousand errors or, or or issues that that, that could could re, could result, you, you're now you're now taking the statistics and turning it into real human beings that are being impacted. Yep, and, and there's uh, so many of them. There's credit bureau reporting, there's fees, right? And all kinds of different fees that are associated with it or not getting the right interest rate because you're active duty. So there, when you look at the regulations and the laws, um, there's a lot of them that are built in to ensure that that's happening. And I think everyone's got the right intent to do it. It's where yeah. the issue comes in is the volume of information to manage and how do you feasibly test, you know, a, a million loans? Well, and if you looked at it in, with current, you know, any staffing level, trying to do a million, million loans manually, you can't get there. Yeah. Right. That's that. That's why you end up with 393 <laughs> loans that you test, yes. right? Uh, amazing. What I, I'm just kind of thinking through this now, going, putting my uh, lender hat back on, I would imagine that the work – the output of the results also is very enlightening for um, an originator to kind of think about their their shop, their manufacturing shop, their processes. Um, and so a lot, while, while there may be a compliance and regulatory focus, it, it would seem to me that there's a, a significant opportunity for efficiency gains and just a better consumer customer experience. Is that fair to yes. say? So, yeah, there's about compliance, but you, you hit it on the head, the nail on the head, which is, it, there's operational items that come out of it, right? One, the amount of QC that might have to be done, you can mitigate that. Or, you know, as you go through this, it might be just data quality that's creating the, that. And so it's resolving the data quality and helping get the operational piece. Or is it something in your procedure that you're doing that's creating that, right? We're putting the wrong code in. An example, so that's, yeah. it helps to highlight those types of things. So it may not just be like, a specific, oh, this is a, an observation, but hey, if we fix X, Y, Z in the process, those go away, and it's not really a true mis, misfraction, right, it's, or infraction. Um, it's that process. Is there, with your platform and product, is are you in the diligence space anywhere when it, when it, when it comes to buying and selling portfolios? Well, we've been asked about getting into that space. We haven't done it, but literally it's the same concept, right? We're testing loans for compliance. Right. If you, someone gave us their due diligence portfolio today, we could run it through the engine and come back with that. So that is a big place that I think is going to be an evolution, whether it's in 22 or 23, or if a customer today said, hey, we need you to do it, we, we can do it. Right. Yeah, that's been an area that just has been a head scratcher for me. You've got <clears throat> these 
these pools of loans that you know move from A to B to C to D, and each time it moves, there's a required level of diligence. It, that's an area where we're ripe for you know some some kind of common uh, acceptance of, of a due diligence that happened way up the front and let it carry through you know to all the parties as as that pool or that loan passes. It's yes, it, it's uh, amazing how many how many times we we check the checker in the business. Yep. And then true truly knowing what you're buying in that portfolio, right? So what, yeah. how much risk are you buying? Because um, I think that's one of the factors. You know, there's measurement around uh, a foreclosure risk or repayment risk, but the regulatory compliance operational risk isn't always measured as part of that. Right. Yeah, there's an assumption that, uh, well, we've, we've tended to manage that with rep and warrant language in our in our agreements. <laughs> and that's, that's fine as long as the counterparty is there to, to, to stand up to the, the rep and warrant. Right? Yes. <laughs> Uh, and based on where we both kind of came out of the uh, the crisis, we we know that's not always the case. Right. What's um, I'm curious in terms of uh, implementation. Like, let's just take a uh, hundred thousand portfolio, hundred thousand unit servicing portfolio. What what does the implementation look like in terms of timing, and and what's the level of effort needed by the that counterparty to get your product stood up? The, the size of a portfolio isn't as much a driver as the number of tests you're going to want to do. And so what we say is let's try and do about 25 tests on a monthly basis. We've identified the data elements that are needed. So, for example, from MSP, we know what data elements are needed for our tests. So we'll give you those. We'll have some conversations with you um, about is your process different? Did you implement it differently? We get those. We run it through. And we, but when we get the data, so the first time we give you results back, it's about a week. So then yeah. what we're doing there is tweaking based off of your environment. Um, was there a data element we didn't know about? Did you use something differently? And so it's usually one to three iterations to get through those. Um, and so we like to do it in chunks because you start seeing incremental benefit right away. And two, yep. let's focus on law smith. Let's focus on PMI. Let's focus on this. And you're doing like a consolidated set together. So, I mean, if you wanted to say, like, we're going to get through 150 tests for CFPB, call it six months, but you're getting incremental benefit along the way. Right, 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 right. Well, yeah, that makes, makes sense. I think what's uh, hopefully resonating to our audience who maybe they're frontline originators uh, that don't often get to see behind the curtain, right? Their, their exposure to the lender ends typically at underwriting or closing maybe. Yep. And there's a whole world <laughs> that happens for an infinite, uh, in infinity, you know, beyond closing. And these conversations, I think, a lot of times shed light on, you know, life after closing, um, and what what the you know the biggest chops are are kind of facing and what they're they're working on is important. I guess in in that context, as we kind of think about you know 2022 and beyond. Are there what else is on the horizon that, that you see opportunity to kind of automate and and uh, become more efficient in in that kind of testing space? Is there something that's super evident that we're just not looking at right yeah, now? Yeah, so I think we'll start. This is another big piece that no one's gone to. Right, we started with federal going into state testing, so getting yeah. into core buckets of the state components of looking at NSF or looking at fees or escrow. Uh, the key things that seem to you know, happen at the state level. 
Um, that's going to be a good yeah. piece on the testing front. And then the, another piece that um, we're probably going to look at is there's questions we're getting around. So we don't have a policy and procedure application inherent to us. We leverage the PMPs you have. Because we've turned the laws and requirements and structured data, we're being asked to, hey, can you build a PMP tool yeah. that we can manage our policies and procedures, our version control, all that. But now that'll give us the opportunity to start uh, using AI to match. This is exactly what, how you're covering uh, that this law or requirement in your in your operating environment. Right. So. Yeah, I love that. That totally makes sense. You're you've, you've addressed it with the kind of from the back, and you're now pulling it forward. And, and to some degree, you, you should be able to present something that's better than best practices. Yeah. Frankly. Uh, I think. Yeah, because this should this didn't do that map. And then the other piece that a couple of things have come up is take that testing to not from a reg standpoint into the operational environment. So we can do that as well. Right. So and you know, people don't realize the the um, a the level of effort that that goes into the process, but the the true benefit of all this is it you know in the if you think about a loan that kind of goes downstream, right, and it ultimately gets securitized and ends up wherever it ends up, the shops that aren't as strong in these areas, there's a pricing impact to loans that they put into the secondary market. Yes. Right? And, and there's a pricing impact, but there's also a, a liquidity impact. You, there may be less buyers based on what's known about a lender's lack of, you know, effective controls, as an example. Yeah, I mean, I had equated to buying a performing portfolio versus a non-performing portfolio. That's right. So similar concept yeah. when you start breaking down what the implications of, you know, not if there's some compliance or regulatory observations or issues along the way. Yeah, I think I, 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 you're, I love the way, I love your product. I love the kind of solution you bring in. I'm just thinking of it, putting my sales hat on. It's like, this is something that you can tangibly present an ROI on in a, in a lot of different ways that, uh, that that makes just so much sense. I mean, one of the well, things that we say, we can do 99% more testing and coverage in less than 1% of the time, right? So we went yeah. through just an example of the, the uh, for, uh, COVID forbearance test. It would have taken a company 500 people in a year to do what we did in about 20 minutes. Amazing. So, yeah. But it, I mean, that's the amazing thing about technology, right? Once you get yeah. it right, then you can repeat it and, and really get those efficiencies. For sure. Well, as uh, as I had hoped, I learned a, a ton about uh, you you guys, your company, your product. I, again, love what you're uh, what you're doing. I love I love kind of learning about how people are just taking solving old problems better with with modern technology and and. Um, I am excited to kind of watch your trajectory and kind of see where this thing goes because I it doesn't end uh, wherever you're at today. There's there's a roadmap and a, and a runway going forward, no doubt. Yes, I really appreciate you having me on. I, the conversation was great, and I love what Finlocker is doing uh, as well. So uh, it's just amazing <laughs> sure. all the different, like you're saying, the different things that need to be solved. And you know the the best part I think is when you have veterans from the industry coming in to go solve those because you've lived it, you've breathed it, you know what it means to, yeah. to, to live the pain and now to fix it. 
Yeah, it's uh, it it like we said at the onset, it's a it's a labor of love, <laughs> and it's there's a lot of uh, a lot of passion around you know what each of us does, um, and uh, hopefully we're we're making a, a small difference in this this wonderful industry. Well, Rowan, thanks uh, so much for joining. Uh, thanks everybody for another joining for another episode of FinTech Fridays. I got this the sun shining on my face. It's uh, I'm gonna have a sunburn on half my head here. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for having me, Brian. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah. Thank you.